Today's passage comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 26. In my former book, Philosophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Aphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who has been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time where Jesus was taken from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Basabath, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judith left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. This is the word of God. Well, look, we're coming now to um, Acts, a new sermon series in the book of Acts. And today we are looking at this opening chapter, verses 1 to 26, on page, 1000, page 1092. 
Now, Winston Churchill uh, once said, it is not enough to have lived, we need something to live for. It is not something, it's not enough to have lived, we need something to live for. That is, each of us need a sense of purpose and a sense of mission to our lives. Um, Elizabeth mentioned it in her prayers um, with the all these murders going on in London. You may have read this week that the murder rate in London is now higher than the murder rate of that in New York. This rise in gun crime, this rise in knife crime, often involving teenagers as young as 13 getting caught up in gangs. When some of the teenagers were asked, you know, why do you get caught up in these gangs, especially given the risks involved, especially the risk to your own life, One of the teenagers said, well, at least it gives me something to live for. I was reading an article um, from last month about how six out of ten millennials, people in age 20 to 30, 25 to 35, are now describing um, having what they call a quarter-life crisis. Apparently this is like a midlife crisis, but it is now happening earlier on in your 20s and 30s. Dr. Oliver Robinson, um, a researcher in this, describes how this existential crisis is coming from financial, career, and personal pressures, as more and more people earlier on in life are being forced to ask the question, is this all there is? Why am I doing this? What am I here for? It is not enough to have lived. We need something to live And it could be you're asking that question today, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, whether you're a member of this church or not. What am I here for? What does God want me here for? Am I in the right job? Should I marry that person? Should we have children? What do I do in retirement? We all need something to live for, but what should that for be? And as we come to the book of Acts today, we come to the greatest mission of all, God's mission for the church. The greatest mission project any human being can ever be involved in. And for us to grasp this and to be involved in this This is something to live for. This is something to die for. This will keep all sort of existential crises far at bay. Three key truths for us to see about mission in this opening chapter. The privilege of it. The power for it. The protection over it. And you'll see the points coming up on the screen. First, the privilege of God's mission. Glance down with me at verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So here is the author Luke introducing his second book to this man called Theophilus. His first book, his former book, is the Gospel of Luke, Luke's Gospel. 
But notice how Luke describes his gospel here in verse 1. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do. Now, I'm not sure about you, but when I read through Luke's gospel, I'm astonished at how much Jesus did do. He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. He rose from the dead. Sin paid for. Death defeated. Salvation on offer for the whole world. Luke says, this is just the beginning. So what is coming next? The disciples, the apostles say to Jesus in verse 6, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the end of the world? Is this the new creation? Is this glory restored to Israel finally? To which Jesus says, no, verse 7. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, this next act involves you. You are to be my witnesses. You are to spread the good news about me. You are to take the message of me and my salvation to the ends of the earth. It is over to you now. And with that, verse 9, Jesus was taken up into heaven before their very eyes. And the apostles are probably feeling a little bit shell-shocked by all this. And they're left staring intently up into the sky. And then these two men, dressed in white, say to them, Why do you stand here, looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who was taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go. In the meantime, you have a job to do. this special responsibility of spreading the good news about Jesus. The privilege of mission. I don't know if you've ever had someone ask you to be a best man at their wedding, a bridesmaid, ask you to say a few words um, about them um, at a birthday, at a special event, and you're like, oh my goodness, that, uh, thank you very much. Um, I wasn't expecting that, but what an honour, what a privilege. Yeah, no, of, of course I will. Do you see what God is asking here of every Christian believer? To say some words about him. To tell others about him, his love, his, his forgiveness, his transforming power in your life, in this world. I mean, we see the honour, we see the privilege when other people ask us. Do we see the privilege and honour when God asks us? Because that is what he is doing here. Now, some of us will be well aware that evangelism, mission, is part and parcel of the Christian life. That's just something, you know, we have to do. Please do not miss the honour of it and the privilege of it. Think of everything Jesus began to do in Luke's gospel. And this is the next part, the next act, that he would include us in his great salvation plan. Do you see the privilege of mission, the honour? But you say, these are the apostles Jesus is speaking to. These are the professionals, these are the church leaders, not us. 
Well, look, you're right that Jesus is speaking first and foremost to the apostles here. And yes, they did have a unique role in witnessing to Jesus. They were with Jesus physically from the beginning. They saw Jesus risen from the dead. But clearly the church understood Jesus to be talking to every Christian believer here. Because later on in chapter 8 of Acts, you don't need to turn there now. A great persecution happens, a great scattering of the church happens, except for the apostles. They stay in Jerusalem, but there's this great scattering across Judea and Samaria. And in chapter 8, verse 4, what are these ordinary believers doing? Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Witnessing is not just for the apostles, the professionals, the church leaders. Witnessing is for every Christian believer. Listen to these words from Kenneth Scott Latourette, noted historian about the spread of the gospel in the early church. The chief agents in the expansion of Christianity appear not to have been made by those who had it as a profession or a major part of their occupation. But men and women who earned their livelihood in some purely secular manner and spoke of their faith to those whom they met in a natural fashion. That is how the spread of the gospel in the early church happened. Ordinary men, ordinary women sharing their faith in a natural fashion. It is not a professional thing. It is simply a Christian thing. Do you see the privilege of it? On your way to church, on your way to work, at gym, at the supermarket, with your neighbours, with your family, being a witness to Jesus Christ. This is something we can always be living for. Will you do so? That's the privilege of God's mission. Secondly, let's move on to the power for God's mission. Because at this point, you might be thinking, okay, fine, I can see that God wants me to spread the good news about Jesus, um, and I see the privilege of it, but quite frankly, I'm pretty scared at the thought of it. And half the time, I don't know what to say when I'm speaking to my friends and colleagues about Jesus, and in my experience, I'm not very good at it either. Well, look, if that is you, and I imagine it's all of us in some ways, we've all been thinking that at some point, just look at the promise Jesus gives his disciples in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Only then will you be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you see the order? Power first, then mission. In fact, back in verses 4 and 5, Jesus specifically tells his disciples to wait in Jerusalem before they go off on mission. Verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. Then go out on mission. Jesus never sends his people out on mission without the power to accomplish that mission. And let me just give you a glimpse of some of the things this empowering spirit can do. 
three verses from later on in Acts. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. After all the believers prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. A boldness to speak of Jesus from the Spirit. Chapter 6, verse 10. But the people could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave Stephen as he spoke. Chapter 11, verse 24, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Boldness, wisdom, conversions. Do you see the power of the Spirit in mission? The power that every Christian believer has, because if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit. And so if you are someone here and you are scared of speaking up for Jesus, remember you are never alone in mission because Jesus never leaves us alone in mission because the Spirit is always with us. And we can ask him for his strength, his power, for boldness to speak up for Jesus in that situation no matter how difficult and scared we may be. And if you are someone here who does think half the time you don't really know what you're saying, Remember, again, you are not alone in mission. God's Spirit is with you. And you can ask him for wisdom, for the words to say. And even if you say those words and you think, my goodness, this doesn't sound very good, the Spirit knows just what this person, this colleague needs to hear. And if you think, well, you know what, I'm just not very good at it. That's fine, you're not, none of us are. Without the Holy Spirit, no one would be converted. But you are not alone. The Spirit is with you. And no matter how bad you think you are at it or how hostile or apathetic your friend or colleague is at it, the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to bring anyone to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you see the power we have for mission? And if we do, well, let's depend on him in prayer. That is how to know that you've really got this and really understood it, our need for the Spirit in mission. On our knees, crying out, dependent on the Lord. As we might be thinking now of some of the people that God wants us to share Jesus with, It has always got to start with an absolute dependence on the Spirit in prayer. Lord, who is it that you want me to speak to? Asking the Spirit for an opportunity to speak of Jesus. Asking for the Spirit for boldness to take that opportunity. Asking for the Spirit's wisdom to know what to say. And asking for the Spirit to be work in that person's heart, drawing them to Jesus Christ. We need the Spirit to be at work. Otherwise, there'll be no results. As we come together, join together as one church family here, the 11 a.m. congregation here, the 4 p.m. moving over this afternoon, this vision that we feel the Lord has given us to be reaching out to Clerkenwell, to Old Street, in time to the ends of London. Well, if this vision is going to be realized, it has got to begin with a wholehearted, church-wide dependence on God in prayer.
Can I ask, are you praying to the Lord for these things? Are you praying for the mission of the church? Are we depending on the Spirit's power? Because if we are not, then we will labor in vain. But if we do, well, you can just begin to imagine what might happen. The power for God's mission. The privilege of God's mission, the power for God's mission, thirdly and finally, the protection over God's mission. In verses 12 to 26, Luke slows the narrative right down. In these opening 11 verses, we have just seen some incredibly rich theological truths about what Jesus had begun to do, the empowering of the Spirit, the ascension of Jesus into heaven, the mission of the church, all in just 11 verses. Now, over 15 verses, Luke slows it all down, names the apostles one by one, describes in gory detail what happens to Judas with his body bursting open, his intestines spilling out, and the replacement of Judas by Matthias. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, why? Always a good question to ask when you come to a Bible passage. Why is the author doing this? Why spend so much time on this? Why not just jump straight from verse 11 to Pentecost in chapter 2? We need the Spirit. Give us the Spirit. And if you've got to mention Matthias, why not speak two verses? Why spend so many verses? Now, it seems that the commentators can't really agree on this. And I have to say that I have changed my mind on this several times on what's going on in verses 12 to 26. So who knows what I'm going to think about it tomorrow. But as I preach to you now, right today, what I think's going on is this is about the protection over God's mission. Two main reasons why I think this. First, one of the big themes in the book of Acts as you read through it is how God's mission is unstoppable. Despite the sin of God's own people, Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5, the reluctance of Peter in chapter 10, the sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas in chapter 15, God's mission carries on. Despite the great persecution upon the church, the stoning of Stephen in chapter 6, the scattering of the church, the imprisonment of the Apostle Paul in chapter 16. God's mission carries on. Despite natural disasters, shipwrecks, earthquakes, and the like, God's mission carries on. And even here, before the mission has started, even within Jesus' inner circle, the chosen 12 and this terrible betrayal of Judas, it is not the end. He is replaced by Matthias. The twelfth apostle is complete. And God's mission carries on. It is protected. Second reason why I think it's about God's protection over his mission is because in the verses themselves, Luke places a particular emphasis on how this is a fulfillment of Scripture. So if you glance down to verse 16, he says, this is Peter speaking, standing up in front of all the believers, all 120, brothers and sisters, the Scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas. And we see it also in verse 20, where Peter quotes from Scripture, 
It is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. In other words, God has got this all covered. The Spirit said this would happen, predicted it would happen years ago. Nothing is outside God's control. Nothing will derail his mission. God will protect it at all costs, God's protection over mission. Now, if that is right, is that not a massive encouragement to us? Pick right now a game that you like, a sport, a card game, a board game. Imagine I told you that you would win it, no matter what happens, that you could not lose. Would you want to play that game? Smiling. Yes, you would. If you knew you couldn't lose, if you knew you would win, it is just the same with God's mission. We cannot lose. God has got it covered. Despite our sin, despite other people's sin, despite persecution, despite natural disasters, God's mission will succeed and his gospel will go to the ends of the earth. Is that not an encouragement? The amount of times I have mucked it up in mission. The amount of time, (laughs) I take my family, my goodness, starting off, I was a nightmare after I became a Christian at university. The pressure I put on my family, the tone I used against them. In the end, they told me to shut up and I wasn't allowed anything Christian outside my bedroom. Disaster. My sister said she thought she'd lost her brother. I remember when I was a trader for Deutsche Bank, I said something incredibly rude in front of all the Deutsche Bank graduates. One of them turned around in front of everyone and said, and you call yourself a Christian. I was mortified. I wanted the ground to swallow me up. I thought I've completely lost this for witness for my entire time at work. What did I do? I said, sorry, I sought forgiveness, I tried to deal with the sin. My mum is here today, my dad is a Christian, my sister lets me speak about Jesus. Mission continues. I have a WhatsApp group now with my Deutsche Bank colleagues. They're quite happy for me to talk about Jesus in a gentle way, in a natural fashion. God's mission continues. Now, at times, the sin could be so serious in the church, in the leadership, that leadership has to be removed like it was with Judas. And a replacement needs to be found. But God's mission carries on. It might take a while for trust to be built up with the community. It might mean that some people never come back to church. But God's mission carries on. the protection over it. So there we have it, that's chapter one. Here's the beginning of the series, the privilege of God's mission. God wants us to share Jesus with others. This is something to live for. It is so important, so worthy. This is something you can die for. The power for God's mission, his spirit. You lack nothing. Depend on him in prayer. The protection over God's mission, no matter how much you have mucked up before and sinned in this, the witness is not over. Say sorry, seek forgiveness, get up, get out, let's tell people about Jesus. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much indeed for 
this opening section of the book of Acts and how you have been pleased to give this vital mission to your church to spread the good news about your son, our saviour, to the ends of the earth. And thank you so much that you do not leave us on our own in this mission, but you give us the power of your Holy Spirit to be with us. And thank you so much, Father God, that no matter the sin in our own lives or the sin in others or in church leadership, actually your mission carries on. Would you give us a vision for that mission? Would you equip us for it? And would you help us to do it today, this week, until we meet next Sunday? And we ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen.